What's up everyone and welcome to episode 150 of the Justin Insight podcast. I know, who would have thought it? We got to episode 150 and in such weird, bizarre circumstances that we're in. Um, as always, this is a show where we talk to people who are involved in the world of alternative music and find out what makes them tick. Um, yeah, just really, really excited that we, we've reached 150. Um, we were lucky enough to have the awesome Patrick Kinland on episode 100 which seems like it was ages ago now but it was only 50 episodes ago um, and we've got another awesome guest for you this week um, as you all know we're still in lockdown unfortunately the circumstances haven't seemed to have changed um, but trying to trying to keep positive got my brain's been sort of going a bit sort of overactive in terms of things that I want to do once we kind of get back to some semblance of normality um so I've been putting out some kind of feelers for some ideas whether they pay off or not who knows because right now it seems like a good idea but when we kind of get back to the nitty-gritty it may not be something that pans out but we'll wait and see so yeah I've been trying to keep as productive as I I possibly can in these weird circumstances um and putting out this podcast is obviously a big part of that um i've put out on sort of all our socials and stuff because obviously this is the 150th episode i'm just kind of intrigued out of like the ones we've done in the past what's your what's your favorite episode what's the favorite chat that we've had on on this little platform that we put out each week um love to hear hear what your thoughts on who, who you'd like to sort of hear from in the future um so yeah drop us a line on on facebook instagram or twitter um and yeah hopefully hear some suggestions here and hear from some of you going back on on old episodes that'll be awesome um as i've said in the last couple of episodes i've got a few that have been recorded during sort of this quarantine time um but due to you can probably hear because it's getting worse and worse by the day my laptop's sort of just whirring away um I'm putting a pause to to recording episodes until I have the means of, of doing it on a better system, which I'm hoping won't be in the too far distant future, but there will be a little break. Um, and that's something that I, I wanted to kind of praise myself for, is that, yes, this is 150 episodes and I'm celebrating that, but we've been consistently kind of putting out episode week on week apart from either when i've a been out of the country and haven't had access to my laptop or b i've been out on tour so like this is something that's pretty cool like for me personally anyway that i've been able to keep this going for for 150 episodes um and yeah just want to say a thank you to everyone who's stuck with us as well like i i know how these things go like ebbs and flows and whatever but there's people that listen to this week in week out which i'm eternally grateful for when i started this i thought it would just be a small group of friends that listen to it and that would kind of be it but here we are we're still going we're still growing and so on and so forth anyway i've babbled on for way too long already um as you can see on the title of this week's episode this week's guest is none other than the iconic water delgado from rotting out um, this is an incredible chat and he, I thank Walter for being so candid and open uh, during the discussion that we have. Um, we kind of talk about him coming up through the, the backyard DIY scene in California and Los Angeles, um, 
how he kind of got into hardcore and invested so much in that and on the back of that hardcore becoming the thing that he looked forward to most in life um we talk about his sort of energy as a front person uh sort of like in times when there hasn't been maybe necessarily that much energy in the crowd him having to sort of carry the show on his back or or feeling that need to carry the show on his back um but we also get into some of the the darker side of of water's life like his upbringing um how he kind of get away from a toxic situation and yes of course we talk about his time in prison and what that was like um but didn't want to dwell upon it too much because it's been well publicized already but i wanted to give him the opportunity to answer a couple of questions that i was interested in on that side of things rather than the stereotypical what was prison like kind of questions so you'll hear all about that in the chat um this is well timed in a way in the fact that writing out have literally just dropped a new record called ronin um which is fucking phenomenal so after you've listened to this chat with Walter, I highly recommend going listening to that because it kind of puts things in a bit. Well, it did for me anyway. It put things in perspective a little bit. So, yeah, please sit back, enjoy the chat I have with Walter, and I'll see you on the other side. Cool. Right. Joining me on the 150th episode of the Justin Insight podcast is uh, Walter Dargado, vocalist of hardcore punk punks rotting out walter thank you very much for taking some time out of currently quarantined time um how's everything for you how are you dealing with the whole covid19 situation that's going on at the moment uh thanks for having me um <clears throat> actually uh i uh the last show we played was about the 15th of march right okay <laughs> And it was a last-minute DIY. There was still um, uh, a cap limit, a capacity limit on our venues. Or right. Actually, not, not even on our venues, just in general, there's a capacity limit. So no events over 250 people at the time. Yeah. This was before quarantine. And then, um, so that was our last show, and I wasn't feeling too hot at the show. The day, the day before, I had played two shows in one day. Um, so I thought I was just exhausted from that show. Yeah. And um, and whatnot. But, you know, it's just touring and being in the van. You always kind of feel exhausted. <laughs> yeah. So we played the last show. Did you not? That night, I had the worst fever. Oh, shit. I've had it since I can remember. So what happened is I had a fever for the next four or five days. And I lost about 20 pounds. Oh, um, shit. So, and then uh, our merch guy, who uh, was also staying with me, um, he's from Hawaii, and he got sick, too. So he went to go get tested, because they had more tests in Hawaii than they do in Los Angeles. Mm. Um, and uh, he tested positive for, for COVID-19. Oh, fuck. And so, basically, I, I gave it to him. Um essentially and uh yeah so like i must have i i think just from playing so many shows back to back that i think i caught it somewhere yeah on the road because i didn't catch it in los angeles if it was hitting me in los angeles so i must have got it like a couple days prior well how are you feeling now you do do you feel sort of better now oh yeah i'm just dealing with like just normal allergies here and there nothing too (laughs) crazy yeah nothing wild or anything like that i'm I'm back to like 
lifting weights and like uh, eating better and just eating in general, it, it crushed my appetite and I was just like bedridden for like four or five days. Yeah. Well. Yeah. And in terms of obviously the the show, as I say, we we'll talk about more interesting stuff than than COVID nineteen. So we'll um we'll go back to your roots and origins, Walter. And obviously, the way I always like to kind of start this is to ask my guest, what kind of got you into sort of hardcore punk? What was your first exposure of kind of getting into that world? So uh, in Los Angeles, we have this uh, it's this underground DIY backyard scene. Right. And by backyard, it means, you know, if somebody has a backyard and bands want to play, it kind of just happens, okay. or people set it up. But that's not really associated with the hardcore scene I go to now. Um, it was mostly just, like, random street punks and random metalheads and random, like, ska bands. And, you know, everybody was kind of friends. Not, well, they, they, everybody just kind of knows each other. So it'd be like, oh, let's do a show here, let's do a show there. And so it was always this, like variety of genres playing backyard shows yeah. you know it, you know it was just partying drinking moshing and just shows and whatnot just you know until the cops showed up and shut it down <laughs> yeah. or, or, or whatever um so that was essentially my first glimpse at punk um and then uh i kind of fell into like new metal yeah. around 97 98 um you know i was in middle school so it was like oh cool like i know i knew what like the crust like street punk thing was but i was more into like a polished metal sound like corn or rage against a machine um slipknot things like that things a little bit more aggressive more at the time more mainstream more mm. you know more accessible um and i kind of did the new metal thing like just music in general just alternative rock in general for like till i got into high school when i got into high school my first year in high school a friend of mine says oh you like heavy music i was like yeah you know like to me bands like Hatebreed were considered metal bands yeah. at the time not knowing that they had this like hardcore roots and uh, and he showed he, he he uh he showed me this band and i remember the cd it was a camo-colored CD, and it said Throwdown Beyond Repair on it. Nice. Yeah, and so I'm like 14 at this time. I just turned 14. So I'm, I, I put it on, and I'm listening to it, and I remember just being completely just hooked on whatever this was. I was like, this sounds crazy. It sounds so heavy. It sounds wild. It sounds so aggressive. Uh, why is he singing about straight edge? Isn't that like what squares do? You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. It's like, oh, I didn't know people still talked about straight edge and shit like that. Like, I didn't know that was still a thing. Um, and then, you know, probably like a couple months later, I went to my first hardcore show and it was a throwdown um, in Orange County in their hometown. Oh, so it was, it was quite a spectacle for me. Like, it was a big, it was, it was a big turning point in my life yeah you know, yeah I, I got to see this band that spoke about positivity and straight edge and kind of had an open mind on like a variety of topics and um and it, it changed my perspective on things it changed mm -hmm. my perspective on punk and hardcore it changed the way i looked at sobriety because at the time i was drinking very heavily yeah uh, 
and it 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 gave me a different outlook on kind of become who I was going to slowly evolve into. You know, it mm. it made me question religion. It made me question my sense of moral compass that was ingrained in me as a child, you know, like, you know, there's certain things you grow up thinking is okay, like, you know, racial slurs or, or certain, you know, like, bigotry and homophobia, like, a lot of these things in many cultures are, are taught to be okay, yeah. you know, and and as a, as a child, you don't question it because you think the people that are feeding you and taking care of you, that they must know what's right. So you kind of go, okay, it's okay to say these things. It's okay to treat people like that. You know, this skin color is okay, but this skin color isn't. You know, uh, the, this religion is right, so that makes gay people wrong. You know, like this kind of outlook that's been was buried in and ingrained and kind of like brainwashed in me. Um, you know, I started to question those things, mm. you know, I was like, you know, I started to question religion, I started to question my own, um, kind of, um, biases, you know what I mean, yeah. like, I, I, I just, I, it made me question everything, and made me look for the right answers that were appropriate for me, Yeah. you know, I started to try to make more sense of things, instead of just swallowing what was given to me. Yeah, rather than sort of taking things at face value kind of thing. Yeah, absolutely correct. And in terms of kind of like, as you said, that your friend kind of gave you that throwdown CD. But when you were kind of discovering the kind of like new metal side of things, like was someone kind of putting you onto that, or or was it just something that you gravitated towards? Um, in middle school, I kind of like I was always kind of a loner, right? And, uh, so and the kids I kind of like ended up associating with were all like kids that were like obsessed with like the smashing pumpkins marilyn manson nine inch nails like a very more at the time goth and like metal you know like all they talked want to talk about is metallica and nirvana and yeah. you know like more alternative like rock music and that's how i got like pulled into that whole world and stuff like that and then uh punk was always kind of like in the background of all that and then when I got into high school, a lot of my friends were more involved into shit like suicidal tendencies and Pennywise and stuff like that. And then I kind of like, oh, cool. Like that was like that, like it, it opened my eyes to more of an underground scene. Yeah. Uh, when it came to bands like that, even though bands like Pennywise and suicidal are played on the radio, it was still something not completely in the light of the mainstream. Yeah. And so to me that was cool. And then we would watch uh, I'd stay over at our guitar player's house when we were like fourteen and um at late at night, like around one o'clock, there was this show uh called Punkarama and it yeah. was based off of Punkarama CDs that would come out in the nineties. It was uh, so it, they would show all these underground music videos and I saw, you know, we would see bands like ninety eight mute and sick of it all and um uh, the refused, so I'd be I'd be exposed to these other underground bands, and then it kind of all started there. Yeah. So like, you know, it went from like this new metal um, kind of mainstream uh, love that I had, and it slowly kind of you know treaded deeper into the music scene, into like more 
punk and DIY and more traditional sounds. Mm. And in terms of like you've mentioned kind of going to these sort of like the DIY sort of backyard shows when you were sort of growing up and obviously it's you've mentioned in other interviews like your upbringing as a child maybe wasn't kind of the best that you had sort of difficult times and things so did you use going to those shows as an opportunity to kind of escape what was going on at home or was it just something that you felt like you needed to go and explore um honestly anything that could get me away from home Mm. was ideal yeah Um, yeah my, my my home life was very uh uh very aggressive Mm. it was very hostile and it was very dangerous at times for me and my mother and so um you know any any chance i could not be home i took yeah and um and then once i became a little bit more invested in hardcore I was going to backyard shows often, and we'd always go to, like, the local shit just out of boredom, you know what I mean, just because, like, it was something to do, but when I got introduced to hardcore and I went to that show, there was this level of energy that I had never experienced, and I had, I had, I, it now set the bar for what was to become, like, addicting to me. It was the energy, the this this weird level of aggression and hostility at the same time, the sense of controlled chaos. Yeah. You know what I mean? And it was you know, and for me chaos was very very, you know, comforting. Like where I come from that's kind of all I knew. Yeah, and cool. it was and violent. But this was this was different. This was for 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 lack of a better word, it was it was there was something poetic and 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 I, I romanticized it in a way where I needed it. I had it was this this world that I needed more of and I needed to be a part of it every chance I get. So I would save my money, you know, my lunch money at school. I would I wouldn't go to shows every month like most kids because I just couldn't afford to, mm. you know. I, I, I'd buy a ticket to a show uh, two months away, you know, because that's all I could afford. Yeah. And I would save every penny I, I could so I can buy a shirt or a CD. And, uh, you know, so my investment financially was, was time-consuming, and I had to be strategic about it. Do I want to eat, you know... Uh, a whole lunch today or, or can I just survive off a bag of chips so <laughs> yeah. I can save so I can save these five dollars and, and and buy a CD this weekend you know or oh the, the ticket to the show is 20 bucks okay um if I can ask 20 people for a dollar I can get enough money to buy this ticket but I don't want to ask the same people twice so I have to be strategic about how many people I ask for money and uh, and who I ask for money so no one realizes that I'm collecting money just yeah. so I can go to an hardcore show because I didn't want people to think I was that poor. You yeah, know, there's yeah. still, I was still trying to kind of hide that part uh, of my life to people, mm. um, uh, you know. And so it was at first, you know, the first couple of years was very difficult for me 
uh, to go to go to shows because I just I didn't have a car. I didn't know enough people, and I had to plan ahead of time and save my money and pick and choose which shows I wanted to go to. Do I did I want to go to the Bane show or did I want to go to the Terror show? Because yeah. I couldn't afford both. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. So and, and that's that's how it was. So like going to shows was absolutely vital for for my for my sanity honestly yeah. at that point you know it, it it gave me it gave me it gave me purpose it gave me a a, a, a goal and it gave me a sense of freedom when i got there mm. and i don't want to sort of dwell upon it too much and obviously if you're not happy to talk about it then happy to sort of move on but you mentioned obviously like the living situation that you were in like being quite dangerous at times and obviously for a young person like that's a lot to kind of take in so did you kind of like know what was going on or did you just know it was a situation that you needed to get out of um when you're a kid you're not too sure what how to make sense of everything yeah um and i just knew that my stepfather was an abusive drug addict Mm. and there were days when he would be very violent towards me and my mother physically. Um, or there was just days where it was just loud arguing and things were getting thrown around. Or it was days where we just wouldn't see him for a whole week, you know? So it was always kind of like waiting for the pin to drop. Yeah. And so I was kind of on this constant, like, alert mode and um and uh i i I didn't i didn't want to be home but at the same time i didn't want to leave my mother alone yeah of course you know um and i didn't really know i knew there was something wrong i knew it wasn't right uh because i was embarrassed to either talk about it or have people find out so I knew I was hiding something that wasn't socially okay. Yeah. You know, um, because, you know, I get questioned by social workers at my elementary school, what's going on at home and this like that. And you don't, you don't, you don't talk about it. You know what I mean? You don't, you don't tell them anything because of the fear of you being separated from your family through the legal system. Yeah. Um, so everything was fine, you know, when people would ask, no, my family's fine, we're fine, my dad takes me to the movies, he, he, he buys us McDonald's, he treats us good, so we had to put up this, I had to put up this facade and this front, like everything was completely okay, Mm. um, so, you know, when you get older, you start to learn to kind of carry your own, you know, when I hit when I became 13 years old, I was kind of tired of the abuse and something in me decided to, I guess you could, you could say snap or finally decide to stand up for myself instead of just kind of sit there like a, a dog, you know, who was just being, being consistently and taking it. Yeah. Um, and there was an altercation where he was being physical with my mother. And so I decided enough was enough so I grabbed a screwdriver that I was using to put together my skateboard at the time and I lunged at him he jumped back on the bed and I stabbed him in the legs multiple times oh shit 
Yeah. Um, uh, you know, in my head, this was it. I'm done. I can't take it. You know, I'm hysterical. I'm yeah, crying. Yeah. And I'm just swinging this screwdriver, you know, like I, I've had it. You know, it's been, at the time I was 13, all this started when I was six. So it's already been over half my life. You know what I mean? Dealing with this. And so, like, it, it built up and I, and I just kind of snapped. My mother made me stop. He got up and ran off. Um, and it was just a very confusing time. Yeah. Uh, because in my head, I'm trying to defend myself and I'm trying to defend my mother. And she's telling me to stop. You know, so it's like, you're not, you, you can't make sense of it. You're yeah, I, I'm, of I'm a teenager now. And I don't know what's going on. And I thought I was helping. And so everything's confusing. And so from that point on, it was kind of like, all right, as soon as I can leave, I'm going to leave. <laughs> yeah. You know, so, so shows, as soon as I can go to a show, I'm going to a show. As soon as I could convince my friend to drive us to another show, we're going to go. Yeah. You know, um, this terror CD is coming out in a month. Okay, I got to save up my money so I can go to the music store so I can buy it the day it comes out because I have nothing else to look forward to yeah. but this. So hardcore became this, honestly, it became the only thing to look forward to at that point in my life. Yeah. It, it, it was the only thing that made me feel better that I could latch on to. And in terms of kind of yourself, obviously, like when you were sort of growing up and finding out like things were throwdown down and becoming someone that I, I guess now is more sober living but obviously you claim straight edge sort of thing so do you feel that in some aspects growing up in the situation that you were in that that had an impact or is it more just the hardcore ethos that's kind of shapes that that for you um I think because when it comes to my sobriety at least my dad my stepfather was a drug addict Right. And, it, and I was drinking heavy at the time just because that was the only coping mechanism that society had taught me was acceptable. Mm. You know what I mean? Like, oh, bad day at work, go drink. Yeah. Oh, troubles with the wife, go drink. Oh, I, my friend passed away, go drink. You know, like it was, it's constantly being thrown in your face in movies and in TV and in society, like, and it's considered acceptable. Hmm. So that's why drinking was the easier part at the time. You know, I started drinking when I was eight years old. Yeah. And I didn't stop until I was 14. So I was pretty fried on it by the time I was 14. And something like straight edge, you know, being being screamed in my face, being told I don't have to, that there's another way that I could take, that I, that I have the power in me to face these things head on sober. You know, and that spoke to me a lot. And that, that meant oh, that's one less thing that would make me like my stepfather. Yeah, yeah. You know, the further, the further I am from him, the less I am like him, the better of a person I'm going to be. Not necessarily correct, but that's what I believed at the time. Mm. You know, and so I think something as positive as hardcore and like the sense of uh, morality it gave me when it came to sobriety was perfect timing yeah it it was it was there when i needed it when i needed it the most yeah and And i think that's why i kind of do my best to always 
continuously give back, whether I help my friends book shows, whether I write music, um, or whether I just support other bands, you know what I mean? Or, yeah, or yeah. just go to shows. Like, there's something in me that is always indebted to this hmm. because I feel like it gave so much to me that there was, there's something, there's a level I will never be able to repay. Yeah. You know, so I do my best to give back and contribute to something that was so, so important and so honestly life changing for me. Yeah. And well, then, in terms of kind of that kind of giving back, obviously, if we start going on to you actually playing music, obviously, most people know you for obviously being the vocalist of, of Rowing Out. But what was kind of your your early cut in your teeth? Because I know that you you obviously you play guitar a bit, you play a bit of bass. So, what when you were starting out, did you want to be a guitarist in a band, or had you always kind of envisioned being a vocalist? Uh, well, I started playing music. Uh, I picked up a guitar when I was in like seventh grade. Yeah, I was. I just taught myself. I learned how to play a couple Nirvana songs and some Weezer songs, things that were easy uh, to kind of catch on and like that would help me kind of build my talent. Even to this day, if you told me to play a certain chord, I I still wouldn't be able to tell you what the fuck <laughs> yeah. that's what. I'd go, I don't know, man. I know how to play this power chord and listen to this riff. It sounds cool. Like, I'm not a talented guitar player or, or, or musician or whatever, you know. I just, I write things, and they sound cool to me, so I stick with it, you know. That's yeah. kind of how that works. Uh, but when it came to being involved in hardcore musically, there was, uh, I, always, I always played guitar. So I was in a couple bands before Rotting Out where I played guitar. And even in Rotting Out, I played guitar originally. Oh, okay. When we started. When we started the band, I played guitar. My guitar player uh, um, was also the other guitar player. Uh, the other guitarist, obviously, and we had a different bass player at the time, and we had a different singer at the time. And when our bass player quit, I moved to bass, and we got another guitar player, our current one, Tank. And then we did that for a year, and then our singer quit when we were supposed to write Street Crowd. Like, literally, we wrote the music, and he was supposed to, sh like, show us lyrics, and he was like, I'm quitting, uh, I didn't write anything. So we kind of <laughs> had, we had ten songs written with no singer, so we're scrambling, looking, like, I'm coming up with ideas, like, oh, who would be a good frontman, who has a good style, like, who, you know, who, who has kind of done it before, yeah. that can do this, uh, not only full-time but be ready to do a whole record um and i you know i had a couple people in mind and it, it was it was just back and forth and nobody was sure i was ready to just call it a day and just go you know what when people change when bands change singers it's not the same people lose interest i was kind of being realistic about it uh so i was like fuck it we could just use these songs start a whole new band whatnot and then our drummer was like well what if you sing and I was like, I don't know about that, man. Like, I, I've never sang. I don't sound anything like our singer. I don't know. I had good energy playing guitar, but that's because it's easier to hide behind a guitar. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, one, no one's always looking at you, you know? I, I was very shy, and I'm still pretty shy. Um, and he was like, oh, well, you've done, like, 
guest vocal parts for your friends' bands, you know, at shows sometimes. You know, it was, it was just kind of like a spur of the moment thing. But he says it was, it sounded good and it looked good. So I was like, you know what? Fuck it. Like, what's the worst that could happen? Nobody likes it, and we're back where we are now. You yeah. know what I mean? So I decided to give it a shot with no intention to ever singing in a band or make taking it as far as it actually went. Yeah. And in terms of kind of like, because you say sort of playing guitar in, in other bands and stuff before writing out, had, were they all kind of just more sort of like local bands, or was there anything that you did of note with, with any of those earlier bands at all? Uh, yeah, it was just local. It was like, uh, I was in a band called, like, Looking Up um, with a bunch of friends at the time. And uh, there was never really, it was just it was just all local stuff. It, yeah. it, it didn't go anywhere. People moved, people lost interest. So it wasn't really anything, and, like, honestly worth mentioning. You know, it's just like, <laughs> oh, yeah. little, the little things you just kind of do, like, in the process of music where you don't expect it to go anywhere. You just want to write some stuff and have play some shows. That's it. And, you know, we didn't really take it seriously. We're like, you know, we wanted to like tour full time or like go places and shit. Mm. So then in terms of kind of with writing out, cause I discovered you guys off the back of the vandalized EP and have kind of followed you sort of all the way through. But I think the, the entrance point for a lot of people was street prowl which obviously, as you said, was kind of your first foray into kind of doing vocals and things like that. So for, for you, like, what was it kind of like when that record started to get the reaction that it did, considering it was something that you hadn't expected to do, so to say? Um, I was surprised. I was... Uh, I, was I was expecting it to fail, okay. to be honest. I was expecting for people to go, um, you know, especially like the, whatever fan base we did have at the time, you know, they liked the band because the singer sounded the way he did and had the style he did. You know, that's usually why you like a band because yeah. the vocalist is usually the most appealing part to it and that's what you're drawn to. Um, so I expected the whole thing to fall apart like soon after the release. Um and I was just going to do what I do, and we'll see how, how how long it takes. But when I started seeing that we were getting more offers, and more people were singing along to new songs and to old songs, and that there was this kind of hype behind it all, I was kind of like, I was, I was taken back by it. I was like, oh shit, you know? Because on that record, I had written some very personal stuff, and mm. kind of like, you know, very you know, kind of sensitive experiences. And, um, and when I, and I think that's what did it. I think the fact that I was a little bit more willing to be vulnerable lyrically. Yeah. I think it brought, it brought in a new crowd. It brought in, uh, and people kind of like, Oh wow. Wait, what? Like, I, we know this happens, but we never talk about it. But he's talking about it. <laughs> yeah. You know? Um, and I think that brought in a whole new crowd. On top of that, I have always had difficulty to be reserved when it comes to playing shows. 
every yeah. show I play is 110%. Yeah. Even if it breaks me, even if I'm collapsing, even if I can't breathe, I keep pushing, I keep going as hard as I possibly can. Because my number one rule when I started singing, I was like, what do my favorite front men do? Yeah. Okay. So I look, I look at p- people like John Joseph from the Cro-Mags. I look at HR from uh, us. Uh, yeah, I, I look at HR from the Bad Brains. I look at Mike Muir from Suicidal Tendencies, and these are very high energy frontmen. And um, so I had to adopt that. You know, like I, I, I wanted to adopt that. I wanted to mimic that. I wanted to give that, you know, uh, kind of resemblance when I played you know so every time I would start uh, at that time when I would play shows I would I would just go as hard as I can and give as much energy as I can can throughout the whole set and I think that caught people's eye because it was a little bit different than the last singer also at that point the whole band had officially become a Hispanic Latino band. Yeah, there was no, there was no longer any white people in the band, uh, and I think that kind of like made an impact on things. I think, especially in Los Angeles, when you see an all Latino Hispanic band, uh, people recognize that. And not yeah. only that, a band that kind of has traditional sound in hardcore, you know, because at the time it was the, a lot of the New York style was coming back. And we were very clear we weren't going to do that. Yeah. You know, we were very clear that we were going to be a band from Los Angeles that sounds like they're from Los Angeles. Yeah. So, and I think all that together just kind of was the right mixture for the success we had, you know. Mm. Well, I think that's because you kind of touched upon it there. Because... At the time, I think what I was listening to was kind of that more sort of, as you say, that kind of second wave of New York hardcore, even like the sort of like the Boston hardcore stuff. But then you guys, for me personally, kind of came out of left field. I hadn't really listened to any bands that kind of sounded like you. But then with Street Prowl, it was even more like it had that kind of Los Angeles sort of skate punk hardcore sound to it. But as you say, you were talking about things that were quite very personal to yourself, but it still had like a fun element to the actual music. So was that something that you consciously wanted to, to have is that mix of your person, personal lyrics with the fun energy of the music? Um, I think the way we've always written records was music first, lyrics second. Right. So, you know, when you listen to a song immediately, it, it's, it has to give you some sort of vibe, you know what I mean? And so obviously our sound being a more traditional skate punk, like, uh, sound, it has to be aggressive and it has to be fun too. Yeah. So, so it has to sound fun, uh, and you know, kind of mean at the same time. So that musically, that's what we aim for on, on every record. Um, and then I decide when I wrote it, when I wrote lyrics, I was like, okay, now this is where when people do read these things, they're going to see there's a little bit more substance than just fuck you and fuck that. Yeah. You know, 
um, you know, because we've heard that. I've heard that. <laughs> yeah. All my favorite bands did that, you know. Fuck the world, fuck racism, fuck all these things, which are all awesome things, but I wanted to sing about things I knew, things I've experienced. I'm not going to sing about what other people went through. I was just going to sing about what I went through because yeah. it's, it's, I, I'm, I'm the only one that's going to know what it was. You know, and if people were willing to listen or if people connected with it, that was a huge plus, you know. So I always try to kind of give a brighter, fun sound to a record with a very kind of darker lyrical content. Yeah. Um, and I think, it, I, I don't know, I think it has a good mix, personally. I think, I think it, it gives it the extra kind of attitude and kind of sense of genuine approach to talking about my story. Yeah. And I think just going back to kind of what you were saying about you wanting to give the energy live as well. Like I was lucky enough to see you guys when you came over to the UK with expire. I can't even remember how many years ago that was now, but still, I'll back. Yeah, but still to this day, like that was like one of the most wild live shows I've seen. Like it was in a little city down the road from me called Southampton, which doesn't really get many hardcore shows. And to see like a hardcore show like that in Southampton was like a really cool experience. So it was. It's... What venue was that? Was that upstairs? Um, I can't remember. Is it Unit? It's like a really small little venue. Where like where like the stage is upstairs, like it was a bar downstairs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I remember, and it got really hot. Yeah, it's stu- like stupidly hot. And the flex played. Yes, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I remember that gig. That was a cool. That was a, actually the last show of that tour. Yeah. But yeah. but yeah, just like it, it shows like the the sort of I guess if you put that effort in, it kind of transpires and then you get that reaction from the fans as well, which is kind of, I guess, the whole the whole point of it, really. Yeah, um, I think... I think for me, at the time, at least, especially going to a new country, um, it was this, okay, I'm never going to expect anyone to move or sing along to my band. Yeah. If it does, I am very, very grateful. But... I can't go into a room and expect every show to be like a show at home. Yeah. You know? So with that being said, I go in there prepared to carry the whole show on my back and, you know, be the only one in the room giving every ounce of himself uh, on stage. Um, because that's, you know, I, I have to represent my band. I have to represent what I'm talking about. And, I have to represent what I believe, which is when you play a show, you have to treat it like it's your last show. Yeah. Because on the way home, you could get hit by a car and die, and then the last thing you want is that you half-assed the last show you just played. Yeah. You know, I don't like living like that. I don't like treating things, especially things I love. I don't like just mildly participating in the, <laughs> yeah. you know and so I, I I go as hard as I can especially if people aren't moving you know usually when there's a high
that energy in the room, obviously, like, I'm feeding off of that, people are feeding off of that, but then there's people on stage going off and stage diving and all this, so, like, I kind of have to, like, be reserved with where I go, because yeah. I could bump into somebody, or somebody could hit me, and, you know, or things could get knocked over, you know, but if no one's moving, I have to kind of, like, explore the stage, and kind of sound good, and be invested, you know, in it, you know, um, physically. Yeah. So, uh, it's, it's actually harder for me to play a show when no one's doing anything <laughs> yeah. than when people are. Uh, no, I get that. And just in terms of kind of like, the, we'll get to obviously what you're doing now, but obviously there was a period of, of time where the band didn't exist. Not obviously because of where you are, which we'll talk about in a minute, but the band did call it quits sort of thing for a time. But it seemed like it was at a time when you were on an upward trajectory. So was it just kind of like that you you were burnt out or was there kind of dispute within the bands? What what was the reasoning behind sort of, I guess at the time, cutting writing out short in, in my point of view? Um, you are right. The band was kind of on this like uphill, and um, and it was going good for the band, yeah. As as a unit, for me, I think I have, I, at least I did have trouble with the success of the band when it came to like people putting me on a pedestal, kind of, yeah. You know, or people thinking I'm like some role model or something. Or I don't know. I, I, I never wanted, I never, you know, I, I know that when a band gets bigger, that kind of comes with the territory. Yeah. You know, that you start to affect people in a certain way and people start to listen closely and people kind of latch onto your words. And to me, that it kind of freaked me out. Mm. Um, on top of that, uh, I think touring felt more like a job than more like the hobby I, I was in love with. Right. And then there was a lot of tension in between the band, uh, between band members. And there was a lot of stress in my relationship at the time, um, uh, with my, my girlfriend at the time. Mm. And there was, a couple other things going on that I can't remember, and I think mentally, I didn't know how to handle it. Yeah. And I think I just did the one thing I could actually control, which was my band, and I just up and left. <laughs> fair, fair enough. You know, like, I, yeah, which was, you know, honestly, and it wasn't fair to the guys, and it wasn't fair to a lot of people, you know, but I didn't know what, what else to do. Yeah. I, I was... I was mentally just kind of checked out and like like a young kid all I knew was if there's a problem we gotta go we gotta leave yeah we gotta run we gotta hide like and and I think that like that transferred over to my adulthood unfortunately and that's that at the time you know 2015 March I didn't know what else to do yeah so I did that and kind of just jumping ahead a little bit but obviously I know you've spoken openly now that you've kind of worked on yourself a lot more and things like that so do you feel that now like obviously speaking about it more openly 
that you you've kind of worked on that side of of yourself and you know how to kind of handle those situations a bit better that you you don't kind of feel the need, that sort of fight or flight sort of reaction is that is that still there or have you worked on that a bit more i think the fight or flight is going to be there for quite some time because mm. if you, you know because i'm trying to undo 30 years of that yeah you know and that's not going to happen in two years you <laughs> yeah. know that's not going to happen in three four years you know but um uh you know knowing is half the battle yeah so I, i'm trying to take you know every day with a grain of salt you know like and i'm getting help you know um with therapists you know and like kind of like sorting my own mess out and understanding myself a little bit more so you know it it's gotten better um sometimes i still need to take a step back and things get a bit overwhelming for me um but it it has has gotten a lot better and it has helped me immensely when it comes to like my anxiety and my depression you know i got diagnosed with ptsd so like that was something i didn't understand completely for a while yeah um and, you know, I, I'm learning to manage that as well. So there was a lot of things that came out of therapy that at first I was in denial of. But then once I accepted that it's these things are now a part of me, it becomes easier to kind of manage. And you can kind of lay everything out on a table and you kind of go, okay, let's take this one at a time. <laughs> yeah. um, and so, you know, when it, when it came to my band, uh, we kind of do things a little bit more calm and, you know, at our own pace now. Yeah. And where we still have our fun, you know, and we can still do things like tour and, uh, you know, kind of like travel. So without me wanting to rip my fucking head off. Yeah. You know? yeah. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, so it, it has gotten better. You know, I'm always working on it. I'm always working on myself, and I'm not where I want to be, but I'm getting, I'm getting closer. Yeah. You know, and to me, that's the most important. Um. So, once I realized I kind of had things a little bit more together, the I spoke to the band. I was like, "Hey, look, they're asking us about Sound and Fury Festival. Do you guys want to do it?" I was, to me, I didn't care. I, I thought it was a bad idea. <laughs> I, thought, I was like, I was like, dude, I, they want us to headline. I don't think kids give a fuck anymore. I don't think, I think it's going to be bad. I think like, I think, you know, it's going to be embarrassing. I don't know. And then everybody was kind of like chiming in my ear. You have to do it. It's going to be crazy. It's going to be insane. And, da, 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 da. and then I was like, fuck it man if, if if this goes bad you know I'm gonna be there to tell you I told you so <laughs> <laughs> and we came we played Sound and Fury and it was one of the craziest shows I've ever played yeah and, uh, and I honestly thought people stopped caring I didn't know that many even even when I was in the band before uh 2018 I never saw the success we were having. Yeah. Because I was just so 
distracted by my my own mental health. Yeah. That I was having trouble seeing anything outside of it. Like people like people referred to Rotting Out as a bigger band and I always thought that was weird. I was like, What do you mean like we'll play a garage right now? Like I don't give a shit. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Like like and, and, and but I hear, you know, it was mostly them talking about the success we were gaining. Yeah. Um, which I never I, I I never saw because I was in it, so it was hard to see what was actually happening around me. Mm. Um, and once I saw the reaction we got at Sound and Fury, I was like, "Holy shit!" Like, wait a minute, is this what is this the reaction we had on people? Is this is did, did people actually care this much? Yeah, you know. So uh, there was a big sense of gratitude um, that I had at that moment, and I was, I, you know, honestly, 2018 Sound and Fury was a very, very happy experience for me. Um, you know, I was out of prison. I kind of had a new view on myself and on life in general, mm. and I got to appreciate the people that supported and were invested in my band that me and my friends started in a garage in 2008. Yeah. You know? Like, it's it's crazy. I, I guess I was just so blinded by a, a lot of my internal, like, issues that I, was, I couldn't stop and appreciate it all at once. And then during that set, I remember just being completely careless about my body and, what was happening and people were jumping on me they were jumping off of me you know i i i, I tore ligaments in my knee that at that show that we had to cancel another show but like none of me cared yeah. The, experience, <laughs> yeah the experience was so euphoric and amazing to me that it was almost like a movie to yeah. me and, and it was it was an experience that i think i needed you know, it gave me, it kind of gave me closure that was like, hey, you did something pretty good, man. Yeah. And you need to enjoy it for the first time. Yeah. And just to kind of backtrack a little bit, obviously, I know you've probably, you've spoken about this at length, but I'd be remiss if I didn't ask about, obviously, the, the prison sentence. So I don't want to dwell on it too much. And obviously, if there's points that you don't want to talk about, that's absolutely fine. Um, but in terms of kind of that whole experience, like... I guess the first thing is like when when you were kind of first arrested. What was your initial reaction? Like, what was going through your mind? Um, honestly, I think anytime anybody gets arrested, especially with a situation like that, you just kind of go, "Fuck." <laughs> yeah. You go fuck, and let's hope this gets not that serious yeah you know in my head i was like okay cool i'm gonna get arrested they're gonna take me down they're gonna you know check me in and take my photo and put me in a cell and i'm gonna eat a shitty sandwich and and then i call my lawyer and so it wasn't it didn't really hit me till i talk to my lawyer and all that stuff and uh and basically they're like yeah you're gonna do time Mm. 
let's try to get you as little much of that as possible. Yeah. So I was like, okay, like, you know, do stupid thing, win stupid prizes, that whole thing. Um, and I think it wasn't till I was in prison when uh, ICE sent me a letter saying, hey, uh, we're going to try to deport you. Oh, shit. Yeah, so I was like, that's when it hit me. That's that's when the weight of it all was going to be like, okay, I really fucked up. Yeah. You know, that's, that's when things really got heavy on me. Because, cool, you're going to do 18 months. All right, this is really going to suck. But I just have to take it on the chin and do my fucking time. Yeah. You know, you got to pay the price, man. Like, you, you fucked up. It's a hard lesson. Time to learn, you know. And I was I, I was prepared for that. I wasn't prepared for uh, the fact that the law that I broke made it so I was eligible to get deported. Yeah, because yeah. Because I'm not a U.S. citizen. I'm a I'm a permanent resident. And if there's a drug charge, a felony drug charge committed by a resident, he is basically you sign up for the possibility of getting deported yeah and so you know i had to get another lawyer an immigration lawyer go through all that and that yeah that's when it all really hit me Mm. when i was already in prison so was it kind of like a uh like a delayed reaction sort of thing in in some sense you know you know what uh, i'm gonna be honest i went into prison and it was one of those don't show your cards, you know, you gotta yeah. put on this front, you act, you gotta act like you're hard, you gotta act like, you know, like, like, this isn't anything, and you just, you swallow your emotions, and then you move on, you know, which wasn't hard for me, because I grew up doing things like that, I grew yeah. up in a house where boys don't cry, and, you know, you can't be vulnerable about around certain people, because they'll take advantage of that, you know, so it wasn't, that what that part wasn't that difficult, you know, playing that role, playing that that, that that you know that putting on that mask. Yeah, you know it. But it was once I got that letter from ICE where I realized how much of a pain in the ass this was going to be for my mother. Yeah, and for my family. For me, I could care less about myself at that point. It was more how what am I putting my family through. Yeah. What am I, you know, how are they feeling with all this? Like, like, you know, and then there's all that negative self-talk. It's like, you fucking idiot. Look what you did. Look what you're doing. You're hurting the people you love, you know? And then it's, there's that self-torture, you know, I I was putting myself through and all that stuff. So it wasn't, it, it was very delayed because the consequences, the consequences had gotten more serious. Yeah. Yeah. You know? And I know in the sort of grand scheme of things, like, the hardcore world is quite a small thing, and this may seem like a bit of an odd question, but was there anyone in prison who knew who you were through the band at all, or were you kind of head down, keep yourself to yourself? Uh, it was actually kind of funny. There was uh, one person, and he was a corrections officer oh. at the prison. <laughs> yeah. He called me over. I was walking the yard one day. He called me over. He's like, Alvarez, 
come here. And I was like, fuck. Like, I thought he was just going to fuck with me or yeah. give me shit. So I don't know. You know, it's never good when a corrections officer calls you over. Yeah. And uh, so I was like, yeah. And he's like, you're in rotting out, right? And I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> I was like, yeah, yeah, man. And he's like, what the fuck are you doing here? I was like, being a fucking idiot. And he's like, oh, that makes sense. <laughs> he's like, he asked me how much time they gave me and whatnot. And he's like, well, I hope you learned from this. I was like, yeah, it seems like I'm going to. Yeah. So, uh, and that was really the only time, you know. There was a couple other dudes that were involved in hardcore uh, when they were on the outs. Like, me and my co-defendant met a couple other dudes that were straight edge in okay. there. Uh, one dude was doing life. Um, uh, he, uh, he was in there for, for murder, uh, but because he, I think, he, I, I believe if I remember correctly, he murdered a guy that attacked his wife. Oh shit. Um, so it was kind of like, you know, it's kind of, was kind of like, uh, it wasn't. A bad thing to go to prison for, yeah, but yeah. it was a bad thing to go to prison to do. You know what I mean? It was it was it was that that weird that weird line. You know yeah. what I mean? Where like, damn, like, yeah, if somebody attacks your family, you defend them. Yeah, you know. Unfortunately, you got to a point where it someone died, and then you had you have, you know you, you there's repercussions for that. Unfortunately, yeah. Um, and then there was another kid, got you know. He got himself in some some trouble, and he was facing twenty years and whatnot, you know. And so, like, uh, we all just started a uh, like a little jam band. In oh prison. wow! <laughs> yeah, and we would just do like terror covers and hate breed covers, and like uh, we, you know, uh, we uh, we'd cover a bunch of other bands and like a bunch of skinhead bands too. So it was like. <laughs> It was just funny. Yeah. And it, it, it was just something to kill time, you know? Like, we had this, like, common interest, and so it was, like, it was it was the one thing that kept us from doing dumb shit and getting involved in dumb shit in prison. Yeah. And, again, you've kind of said it in, in other interviews and stuff, but, and it kind of seems like, on the surface, a weird thing to say, but you've said that, obviously, going to prison was probably one of the best things that's ever happened to you in terms of it's kind of changed your perspective and things and sort of turned things around. So... Is that something that you you still stick by and kind of have you sort of I know it's kind of an obvious question but have you grown from the experience? Oh, one hundred percent. I I still live by that statement. One hundred percent. I think um, I think the hardest lessons need to slap you in the face. Yeah. And and I think the most important ones will slap you hard enough. Yeah. Um, and that's and that's basically what happened, you know. You know, I I was put in a position where I was paying the you know paying the consequences for being a fool, but in that I got the opportunity to get help I would never otherwise try to receive. You know, I would I, I, I never in my life would I have thought that I needed a therapist. Never in my life would I thought I I struggled with PTSD, or that I uh, ex- 
it would would say that I experienced something traumatic. Yeah, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't allow myself that. I, I was either too arrogant or too blind, or I was too scared to look at it. Um, so you know, I was forced to sit, you know, open that box of shit I didn't want to look at, and I sit through everything. Um, most of it, some of them I've conquered, some of them I'm still working on, and some of them I'm still scared to look at. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it's, it's it's all part of the process. And if it wasn't for prison, I wouldn't have looked at any of those things. And I wouldn't have gotten the help that I needed, essentially, when it came to my mental health. You know, yeah. I went in there for a stupid crime, but I got help for something a lot more vital to me. Yeah. Um, and it, you know, it, it, it started this catalyst for me to get help once I got out of prison, Hmm. you know, to look more thoroughly into the things that were kind of presented in front of me when I was getting help in prison. Yeah. And in terms of you kind of getting out, obviously we've mentioned the, the Sound and Fury show and kind of how cathartic that sort of situation was. But obviously for, for yourself, like you've mentioned that hardcore was this thing that you loved and was something that you wanted to give back to when you kind of got out of prison was there a a sense of you kind of not guilt but like that you would be rejected by the thing that you'd love and that maybe people had kind of lost interest in who you were because of what you'd done and because you'd gone to prison um i think some of it was in the back of my head like oh yeah there's gonna be shit talkers there's gonna be haters and whatnot um but for the most part I was on such a high when I got out of prison from just being out that none of it mattered. <laughs> yeah. Like, the fact that I could pick what I wanted to eat, you know, the, the fact that I could go to sleep when I wanted to, the fact that I didn't have to shower with ten motherfuckers around me, <laughs> yeah. you know, like, I was on such a, like, high from just being out that none of it mattered. Any criticism, any shit talkers, any whatever... None of that mattered to me. Yeah. You know, it was I was I was so grateful for so many things at that point that I I I, I, I just rolled my eyes at anything that was negative that was being either said about me or mentioned to me because at the end of the day, no one's going to say it to my face, and I know it. Yeah. So it, I, I didn't really care. You know, it was just you know trolls doing what they do and you know whatever. <laughs> yeah. um, rotting out wasn't a band, so I I wasn't even concerned about that. You know. Like, the offer for Sound and Fury wasn't even on the table at, at that point, so it was just kind of like, oh, like, eh, these are just people that are mad that for some reason they thought Rotting Out was a straight-edge band. Yeah. Uh, just because I was straight-edge, they thought Rotting Out was a straight-edge band, so like, oh, fuck Rotting Out, and da-da-da-da-da. Well, I'm just like, okay, that's weird. Like, my my guitar player and my bass player have literally smoked blunts during our set. <laughs> you know what I mean? So I'm, I was, I was kind of confused as to... Why some people thought Rotting Out was a straight-edge band. Um, and almost always our drummer had a beer in his hand, you know, just relaxing. Uh, so it was it was confusing, but at the same time, I was just like, well, I didn't care. I, yeah. was, I'm, I'm, I get to eat wings again. You know, I get, to have, <laughs> I get to have a real fucking steak. You know, I get to, I get to fucking go to the movies. Yeah, yeah. You know, uh, I, I get to wear nice shoes for once, you know. So there was so much to be grateful for that it 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 fucking it c- 
covered all that. It, it just it, it shadowed all of those things. Yeah. Well, um, also, I'm going to start sort of like winding down now, but obviously at the moment, Rotting Out is kind of in the process of releasing a new record. So for obviously, I don't know, like for when the band broke up to obviously doing the Sound of Fury reunion, this was something that I personally didn't expect to see for a very long time, but I'm very thankful that it is coming out in the world. But for for you personally, has doing this new record has it been quite a cathartic process, or has it just been more of a relief to kind of get back into that world and get back into that graft? Um, so we originally had the idea to write the record without saying anything to anybody. Okay. And then word got around, and then we got an offer to tour, and we we're like, whoa. Um, that's a pretty big tour. It was a Not Loose tour we did last yeah, year. Yeah, yeah. guns. And we're like, um, we haven't toured. We played, like, I think we, at that point, we've only played, like, three or four shows. Yeah. So, you know, we hadn't really done much um, since being a band again. And, you know, we were about to jump into a six-week tour. So, and we're like, well... If we want people to listen to this, hey, well, no better place, you know, than right here, you know, on this tour. So, you know, we played a new song that was going to be on the record that we had written earlier that year. And uh, it just kind of helped kind of like start giving this momentum to the record and giving life to something we were supposed to just kind of have as a surprise. <laughs> yeah. Um, but then, you know, it became this whole thing and we were okay with it we you know it, it's cool you know it, it, the promotions are great you know like doing stuff so the more people listen to it that's really all i cared about i don't really care about sales i'm sure our label does and stuff like that because they're invested in it financially more than we are but you know i just i just want people to take the time and just listen they yeah. don't gotta like it uh, i you know I, people don't have to like our band or like the record but just listen to it just once and that's it that's fine with me yeah at least i know you took the time to really see if it's something you give a shit about and if it's not that's perfectly fine i do it all the time i listen to records all the time where i go i listen to it thoroughly and i go mm, eh, not a big fan yeah. Move on. yeah you know and it's okay you know uh we're not everybody's cup of tea and that's perfectly okay but um writing the record was very fun yeah we, we kind of decided to play with new elements um not extreme to where like it changed our sound or anything but you know to introduce a little couple new elements in on this record and i was a little bit more focused on the lyrical content strictly making about those pieces in my head mm. that uh hadn't been laid out before so it not it, it, in a sense it is a concept record but at the same time it kind of isn't yeah because you know but each song is strictly about a specific topic and most of those songs are about my mental health yeah or me dealing with my mental health or me accepting things or me looking at things i don't know how to control that i want to get rid of you know yeah. So it's it's a very, it's probably the most personal record I've written, uh, and a very fun 
record to just listen to in general. Yeah. At least from my perspective. Yeah. And you mentioned obviously the the tour that you recently did was not loose, and I think obviously it's kind of a a weird situation that you're in now. That obviously you're kind of a band again and doing things again, but obviously in the period of time that Rotting Out wasn't a band hardcore has moved in a different direction and there's a whole new wave of kids that are into it sort of thing so i don't you may not be able to answer this but do you kind of see rotting out now as i don't mean this in a bad term but like as the old guard who are trying something new or do you feel that you're a fresh band again because you've kind of had this new lease of life you know what it's it's weird for bands that break up to come back and still have the momentum we're having yeah um not saying it's better or worse than what it used to be but it's it's momentum nonetheless mm. even to get moving for some bands after they break up is difficult let alone release a record that is getting the type of attention it is getting already um so I'm blessed with that the second of all I think we're a band that's always been at a place even when we were a band. <laughs> yeah. So I don't think it matters. Like, we would tour with heavier bands all the time. Granted, like we said, like more of New York hardcore style, and we'd have our approach, and it was different than all the other ones. I don't see this being that much different. Um, but I do see that the new kids are a little bit more drawn to a more of a metallic sound. Yeah. And I think, honestly, I think that works perfect for us because we're going to be that band on the bill that sounds nothing like the <laughs> yeah. other bands. And our stage presence is different. You know, my energy is different. Not better, not worse, just different. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, our sound is different. And even the kids that do like us are kind of set apart from all the other kids because of the type of recklessness I encourage in them. Yeah. You know, like this, like, no regard for self-preservation that I always promote. Uh, so, you know, it. hey, it, we, nobody might give a fuck about us anymore. And that's fine. I don't care, really. Uh but I think there's something about our band that always kind of like turned people's heads, even if it was not in a good way. Yeah. You know, even if it was like, oh, what the fuck? It, <laughs> yeah. it, it, it was, it's still enough to make people look even for a split second. And for me, that's good enough. Yeah, that's cool. Well, Walter, I've taken up way too much of your time already, but how I like to end these little chats is to ask my guests um, what their favourite song is, but with a bit of a twist. So, what's your favourite Rotting Out song that you like to play live, and why? Uh, so, my favourite Rotting Out song to play live is... It's one of our new songs. It okay. Is, is uh, a song called Reaper. Yeah. Um, because it's there's no fat on the song. Yeah. It's it starts 
hard, it's fast, and it's straight to the point. And the mosh part there's, in the middle is fucking sick. <laughs> yeah, and then there's, the, yeah, yeah, then there's, 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 it ends with that, that, that riff, that breakdown. Um, and I think when you could present a song that's so bare bones, that's, that's, that's what hardcore was at the beginning of it all. Yeah. It was verse, chorus, bridge, chorus, done. You know, <laughs> yeah. it was, it was, there was no fucking fat on it. It was all meat, all potatoes. And, and that's, that's what Reaper was essentially. Like it's, it's intro, fast part, this build up, this breakdown. That's it. Yeah. There's nothing more, nothing less. And song is the got get gets me excited because it's a new song our newest song you know outside of the record and we're getting better reactions on that song than we have on songs we've been playing for ages yeah yeah so to me that's that's why it's so exciting because it lets me know that we're writing songs that people still give a shit about yeah so it it makes me look forward and excited for people to hear the new record perfect walter thank you very much for taking some time to have a little chat with me um i know it may be in the far distant future but i cannot wait to see you back over in the uk or europe at some point soon yeah i'm gonna try to sneak my way in there <laughs> yeah perfect thank you very much my man all right be safe man cheers bye So there we have it folks, again a massive thank you to Walter for taking some time out of his day and having a little chat with me and being our guest on this uh, special 150th episode. Um, as always you can find out what Rotting Out are up to, obviously at the moment not a whole lot because of the whole quarantine thing, but if you want to keep up with our socials all of that will be in the description of this episode. Um, as mentioned last week as well, uh, production on issue 2 of An Insight magazine is nearly at completion as i say i've been, had um correspondence with the princes and i'm hoping it will be with them this week or maybe next week at the very latest but i'm hoping to have it in my hands at the beginning of may which is a little bit later than i planned but hey ho um but you can still pre-order copies of that i will also put a link of that in the description of this episode um and yeah as i say we've got a few more quarantine pods so to say uh coming before my laptop fully dies on me um so they'll be coming in a couple of weeks um but yeah for now thank you again for stopping by the justin insight podcast oh i nearly forgot to plug plug myself whether this is the first time or the 150th time you've listened to the justin insight podcast please rate subscribe review on whatever podcast platform you're listening to this on um but yeah for now thank you again for stopping by the justin insight podcast and i'll see you soon